Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going um, <laughs> to do something this morning. I'm going I'm to do all of Acts chapter 27, okay? So I'm looking at my time and I know what I got to go through. And I'm practicing for next year when I go through the whole Bible in one year. All right? So we'll see how we do today and we'll kind of go from there, all right? <laughs> Acts chapter 27, this is a great story. Have you ever been in a shipwreck? I, I have not. I've been in uh, rowboats that have capsized. That's fun. But never in a shipwreck. Spiritually, have you ever been in a spiritual shipwreck? Have you ever been through a storm where you felt like you were going to be shipwrecked? Where your faith was going to be destroyed? You know, this is a great story, and it, and it really is, uh, in so many ways, a picture of life in Christ. Right? You've got people that are called to follow the Lord. You've got people on this ship that don't know the Lord from a hole in the wall. They don't know how to follow God. They've probably never, ever heard the name of Jesus. And yet, in the midst of it, you've got this picture of a ship, which is their safety, their security. You've got an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who's in chains a prisoner of Rome who ends up being recognized for who he really is, a prisoner of Christ. And in the midst of it, you've got a storm that threatens to destroy everybody. And you go from a captain who is persuaded by his rational thinking, you've got a centurion who's persuaded by that captain And they're persuaded by what they can understand, what they can see, what they can recognize, what they can put their hands around, what their experience has told them, to the end where suddenly they realize they need to stick close to the Apostle Paul because he has something they don't. He has hope. He has faith. He has certainty. He has a belief in God that they can't measure They can't figure it out, but they know that they don't have. There's a key verse as we kind of walk through this in verse 25. It's a great verse because it has really the idea encapsulated here. Paul in verse 25 says, Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Think about that. I believe God because it's going to turn out exactly as I have been told. I I think part of this question is, do we know exactly what God has said? Are we people of the word that are in the word of God where we know the word of God? and, And then the question is, do we believe what God has said? Do we trust him? Do we walk with him? And even when the storms of life hit and even when it looks like we're going to be shipwrecked, In the midst of it, as Paul does, and we're going to look at this, he breaks bread and he gives thanks because he is so secure in what God has said that he's at perfect peace. (laughs) Isn't that great? God's word can be trusted implicitly as what he says he will do. Put it in your world for a moment. What are you going through? What's God allowed you to be in the midst of? Do you trust him? 
Do you know what God's word says? Do you believe that what he has said he will do? I think as a church body, that's something we've got to constantly be grappling with. God will build his church. That's what he has said. Do we trust him to do that? His word transforms, renews our minds. Do we trust him to do that? Or do we get persuaded by the things of this world, by our own reasoning, by our own rational logic? Do we trust the Lord and what he says? We're going to look at this at the end, but God's word, his will, and his way. I'm going to walk through this passage. I'm going to give you four stages of this chapter. We're going to highlight it. And then I want to talk at the end about God's word, God's will, and God's way. Taking just a brief moment to go backwards, Acts chapter 23, verse 11, is an interesting statement here because it precedes all that is happening here. Paul has been beaten by this crowd. Uh, He's been falsely accused. He had to appear before the Sanhedrin. Uh, The centurion came in and saved him, rescued him. He ends up going to Caesarea where he's in house arrest for two years, and we know the story. Acts 23, 11, we're given insight into this, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side, this is Paul, and said to Paul, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you, and what's this next word? Must witness at Rome also. That word must doesn't leave any room for plan B. It means must absolutely has to take place. See, when God speaks, he doesn't stutter. When God says this is what he's going to do, he may not do it in the way that we thought. He may not accomplish it in the way that we even want. It might not go according to our plans as to how he accomplishes his will. But when he says something's going to take place, friend, you can bank on it. It's going to take place. When God gives us his word and says in his word that certain things are true and they they are irrevocable, They do not change because God does not change. And even when we're faithless, God is faithful. It's not predicated on us as to whether God keeps his word or not. God keeps his word because God is God. So in the midst of this, understand that whole picture. Paul had had an experience where the Lord literally comes alongside of him, stands there, and says, you're going to go to Rome, and you're going to testify about me in Rome, just like you've done here in Jerusalem. So the first stage is kind of starting out, right? In Acts 27, verse 1, we learn that they're going to sail for Italy. There's a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. It's very interesting if you look back through Acts and you look at the ways in which Luke has depicted the centurions, uh, it is favorably done. Cornelius right? Uh, Received the Holy Spirit. He's a centurion. And that really set off the whole story of the Gentiles and the Jews being one new man, the body of Christ, the church. Here we have a centurion named Julius. We're never told whether he's saved or not, but we are told that in verse 2, they get on to this, uh, and you can say this word fast 10 times, right? Adramitian. (laughs) Is that how you say it? 
I'll leave it up to you all who are smarter than me. Adramitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia. Understand that this ship is a smaller ship. There are two ships involved in this story. We're going to see the second ship coming up. This particular ship was a smaller one, and it would stay near the coast. It couldn't go as fast because it couldn't go into the deep sea. It wasn't built for that. So they decide to get on this. They begin to take their uh, journey, begin their journey on to Rome. They're going on to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia. They put out to sea. They're accompanied by Aristarchus, who's a Macedonian of Thessalonica. Aristarchus had been saved and was a traveling companion to the apostle Paul. Graciously, they've allowed him. Obviously, Luke is a part of this trip as well. And Luke may have come alongside of Paul as his physician and been allowed to go on this trip. I love this statement in verse 3 where it says, Julius treated Paul with consideration, respect, and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. You know, it's interesting. Paul's in chains for the gospel of grace, for the gospel of Christ Jesus. He's on this journey because he's appealed to Caesar. Agrippa made it very clear, hey, you could have been freed if you had not appealed to Caesar. And on his way, to Rome, God allows a centurion to come alongside in order to take care of him. And we're going to find out later that Julius actually saves Paul's life. Here he's treated with grace. He's treated with care. They put out to sea. They sail under the shelter of Cyprus. The winds had been contrary. Luke is very specific about this. And they sail along the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. And they land in Myrna and Lycia. Fascinating, right? So the first stage of this is taking off. They're in a smaller ship. They're along the coast. They're kind of working their way. We find that Julius is a centurion. God graciously has put in charge of the Apostle Paul. He has his friends with him. And he's able to be treated. He's able uh, to receive care that he is in need of. By this time, he has been beaten many times. He has suffered tremendously for the gospel. And undoubtedly, he needs that care. The second stage, we find that they begin to change course a little bit. In verse 6, the centurion finds an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. Now, that Alexandrian ship is a much larger ship. In fact, we find out later that there's 276 people, including the prisoners, on board. It's a grain ship. We'll find out later as the storm hits. One of the things they start to do is they start casting the grain off of the ship. It's a grain ship sailing from Egypt to Rome because Rome depended heavily on Egyptian grain for food. So Julius finds this ship, recognizes that it'll go faster. The time of year and the season is getting late. And so he wants to get out into the deeper sea and be able to move along more quickly. Verse 7, he says, when they, we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Salmon and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens near which was the city of Lycee. Fascinating, right? This is kind of a crawl. They want to move quickly because of the season, the time of year, but they're crawling. They had gotten onto a coastal ship that wasn't fast enough. It was following the coast. It would have taken them a long time following the coast to get to Rome. They decide to switch ships. They get into an Egyptian ship that's larger in order to get out, but the wind was not with them, right? The wind uh, is not helping them out. 
Verse 9 says, when considerable time had passed. Notice all the time elements that Luke is putting into this. He wants to make it very clear that there's pressure here. Right? There's pressure here. They want to get moving. They want to move quicker. They want to move fast. And they can't. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous. And Luke gives us a clue. Since even the fast was already over. The fast here, he's talking about the Day of Atonement, which would have been either late September or early October. To sail after the day of fast becomes very dangerous because of the winds, because winter is setting in, because the winds become contrary. And they know this. The sailors know this. Paul knows this. Everybody knows this. So therefore, Paul begins to admonish them. I think that's hilarious. Can you see Paul? I don't know how tall he was, but he wasn't much of an impressive guy physically. Bow-legged. They think he probably needed glasses. He couldn't see very well. They don't think he was that great of a speaker. Powerful in writing, but boy, when you come and speak, not very good. And he stands up and starts to admonish them. He's in chains, folks. I mean, does this guy, has he got guts or what? Love it. He says to them, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. That word perceive is an interesting one because it has the idea of understanding something due to experience. What? What what experience does Paul have with ship sailing? Well, he's got some. If you look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's letting the Corinthians know what he's gone through for the cause of Christ. And in chapter 11, verses 24 through 25, he starts walking through this. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Catch this next phrase. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. Whoa. Do you think Paul knows a little bit about sailing? I think he does. How many missionary journeys has he been on? Oh, come on. We've taken two years to go through Acts. Don't stare at me like that. <laughs> Heaven's sakes, right? Three. How do you think he got where he, he was going? Yeah, he walked a lot, but he also sailed a lot. He had some experience, and he's trying to convince them. The word admonish means to get them to, to the right decision, to get them to a place where they're thinking correctly about something. Clearly, they didn't want any of it. Verse 11 says the centurion, Julius, was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. The word persuaded means literally, mentally persuaded. A lot of times that word persuaded uh, is translated for us as faith or belief, but it has the idea of spiritual faith, spiritual belief, not just what we can understand, not what we can categorize and measure out, 
Not what we can place into our brains and understand. Spiritual faith is higher than that in spite of what we can understand, what we can measure, categorize. Here, clearly, there's a play on words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the writer Luke. What's happening with the centurion? He's being persuaded by what he can see, what he can understand, what he can measure by the people that he thinks he ought to be able to trust because they have the most experience, not by this silly little guy that's going to Rome because he appealed to Caesar and has a dispute about law and grace and a dead man named Jesus. He doesn't want anything to do with the Apostle Paul and what the Apostle Paul has to say. So he's more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. The third stage is severe weather. Verse 12 says the harbor was not suitable for wintering. The majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Did you catch this? The harbor was not suitable for wintering. The majority reached a decision. It's a classic example of how the majority in the Bible is almost never correct. Never. I mean, we could go through example after example after example of this, and folks, we ought to pay attention to that. Because when God begins to move, generally speaking, People don't understand it, don't want to walk by faith. They try to be persuaded by the things they can understand and as a result, refuse to trust God. May we not be like that. Amen? May we be people who even if we don't understand, even if we're not sure exactly how it's going to turn out, we're willing to listen and to trust the Lord Because when God's word says something, we can bank on it. Because God is ever faithful. Verse 13, let me just kind of run through this. First thing to notice is a moderate south wind comes up. They they think that that's good. Paul's been saying, not good. Captain and the pilot's saying, yep, yep, we're good. This wind comes up, seems like a good thing. It's a gentle wind. They think that they can move on, so they weigh anchor, they begin sailing along Crete, and they begin to take off. Verse 14, (laughs) before long, they're rushed down from the land a violent wind. You're Aquilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. And what do we find starts to happen? We allow ourselves to be driven along. They're no longer in control. Why? Because this wind is pretty fierce. It's powerful. They run under the shelter of a small island. They've got a skiff that they're dragging along with them, and they can barely control that skiff. So once they get into the the shelter of the small island, they begin to pull in that ship. They hoist it up, and then what do they do? Now they know they're in a bit of trouble. Right? Now they know they're in a bit of trouble because what do they do? They take, they take the wiring and they begin to undergird the ship. They begin to tie it together tightly. Why? Because they're worried that they're not in control anymore and the ship is going in a way that they can't steer it. And as a result, they very well may hit ground and be smashed. So they begin to take the supporting cables and undergird the ship. What else do they do? They let down the sea anchor. 
Why? Because they want that sea anchor to catch on something to prevent them from hitting land because they're being driven along and they cannot control it. Verse 18, it becomes so violent that they actually begin to get rid of the cargo. They chuck it out. Why are they doing that? Well, I'm not a nautical guy. I, I don't, I've never been on a cruise. I really don't want to unless it's Alaska. I mean, that's really, I don't. Jamaica, the heat, never. They don't want the ship to be heavy in the water. They want it to be buoyant. They're worried about hitting ground. So they start getting rid of the cargo. Then they begin to throw the tackle overboard. What? Again, they're trying to get rid of all the weight possible. Folks, this is serious. This is life and death. This, is, this isn't, you know, well, we're just, <laughs> we're, we're off course just a little bit. This is, we may die because they know the season of year it is. They know your Aquilo has been named. They know the wind that's driving them. They know that they've made a grave mistake. And they're trying to do everything they can to fix it. Verse 20, neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. No small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Wow, so not only are they throwing things off the ship, they've got anchors that are being dragged, they're trying to do everything they can to undergird the ship in case they hit land, but now they realize we may not make this. All hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Verse 21, we have one of the funniest I told you so's in the history of mankind. When they had gone a long time without food. <laughs> it's almost like the Apostle Paul knows their weakest spot. When, when you go without food, how do you feel? Kind of glum, don't you? I mean, there's been no, what, sun, no stars, meaning night and day they are being battered. They're throwing stuff off the ship in order to try to save themselves. And when they had gone a long time without even eating, Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. Wow, that'll bless you, won't it? <laughs> don't you love it when you don't do what God wants you to do and then other brothers and sisters come alongside and put their arm around you and just gotcha. You know, Paul's doing this in love. I'm sure he didn't do it in a mean-spirited way. We can see that in his tone throughout the rest of this story. But it is rather hilarious. Here's this prisoner, this old guy, getting up and basically telling him, well, <laughs> I told you so. You should have listened to me. He says, you should have listened to my advice, not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. You know what's interesting here is when you look deeper at the language of this, the idea of followed my advice. Followed my advice, okay? In the English, we get the idea that he was making some suggestions, Here's what I think we ought to do. Hey, Julius, captain, pilot, come over here. I, I think, you know what, this is the way it ought to be. I've had some experience. I've been shipwrecked three times, and I've been a day and a night in the deep. I, I kind of get this bad weather's coming. It's after the fast. You shouldn't do this. No, 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 that's, that's not the full scope here. Followed my advice literally means you did not submit to my authority. Wow. You didn't listen to me. Who is Paul? 
He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean Paul is anything in and of himself? No. But who is he speaking for? He's speaking for God. He knows the Lord has already come to him and said, you're going to Rome and you're going to testify. He knows that. Understand that the apostle Paul was not just simply trying to convince them based on his own thinking, his own experience, or his own framework of life. He was trying to convince them based on what God had revealed to him, and they were refusing to be persuaded. And he says to them, you should have submitted to my authority. Now, I'm sure he didn't do it in a way that was kind of how we joke. I'm sure he did it in a kind way. Because God is kind. But he's making a point here. He, in effect, is saying, the God whom I serve, the God who has saved me countless times, has told me I'm going to Rome, and you need to listen to me. That's incredible. How many times... Do we neglect the authority of the word of God in our lives? Because we begin to listen to what the world, and you can categorize it in any way you want, the world, the flesh, and the devil has to say. And how many times do we look back and say, oh, if only we had just listened to the word. If only we had just listened to the word. Praise God for his grace, amen? Praise God for his patience with us. Praise God that he one day will wipe every tear from our eyes. We don't have to worry about regret for eternity. But let's start listening to the word of God now so that we don't have to look back with regret. He goes on, he says, Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, listen to this, keep up your courage, men. I love that. Men, can I just talk to you for a moment? Keep up your courage. Why? Because when God says something, you can trust what God says implicitly to do what he has said he will do. And men, we're supposed to be spiritual leaders of this body, which means we ought to take note of this, and we ought to take it to heart, and we ought to be standing and loudly proclaiming, just like Paul did, in the midst of a cultural absolute downgrade, however you want to say it. In the midst of all the things that we're facing, we ought to be the ones standing and say, I believe my God, and I believe what he has said, and it will turn out exactly what he has said will take place. Are we going to do that? That's the issue. Folks, we're living in a day where we've got to take this statement and apply it in a way where we're not ashamed. We know our God and we're able to take action with confidence because of what God has said. That's the point. Men, why does he say to take courage? For I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told but we must run aground on a certain island. 
God's word can be trusted implicitly for what he says he will do. The last stage here is salvation. Verse 27, when the 14th night came, don't miss that one, right? This is a long time. 14 nights, no stars, no sun, being driven totally out of control. About midnight, the sailors begin to surmise they're approaching some land. They're starting to take uh, fathoms. They take soundings, and they find that they're, uh, it's getting shallower and shallower. So they're fearing that they're going to run aground again. They actually cast out four anchors. It shows you kind of how big the ship really is. And they begin to wish for daybreak. Why? Because they want to be able to see where they're going. Right? They're getting closer to shore. They throw out the anchors. They're trying to grab anything in order to save the ship. Some of the sailors actually begin to try to escape. Remember that ship's boat that they had brought on and they strapped to the boat? Well, they, they act like they're going to lay out some anchors. And so what they're actually doing is trying to get into that little boat in order to save themselves. But Paul says to the centurion, and, and catch this now, because the centurion's listening. What does Paul say to the centurion? Verse 31, and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves, what? Cannot be saved. Hey, Julius, my God has told me that everybody on this ship is going to be saved, but you got to stay in the ship. You got to stick it out together because if you start moving out and if you start leaving and you start going, you're not going to make it. Fascinating. So what happens? Well, they cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and they let it fall away. You think Julius is listening? I think he is. I think he's listening very carefully. Something's caught his attention. So verse 33, until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. Remember, they haven't been eating. He says, today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. They've lost hope. They have been jettisoning cargo and tackle, and they got four anchors. They've been being driven by a wind that they're not in control by. They haven't been eating. They're depressed. They're despondent. And in the midst of this, Paul's telling them, an angel of the Lord came to me and told me, we're going to be all right. And they're beginning to listen. And then he tells them, hey, you haven't eaten. You need to eat. And so what does he do? Verse 35, having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. Good grief, does this remind you of anything? What happened when the Lord resurrected from the dead? What were the disciples like? Were they, ah, yeah, ah. And they were, they were Eeyores, every one of them. I mean, they were all down disheartened. Some of them wanted to go back to fishing. And the Lord begins to appear to them and begins to share with them and suddenly they begin to realize, oh man, when is it when they recognize the Lord? When he broke bread. All of a sudden they went, oh. And he disappeared from them. Folks, it's amazing. This, this ship is a bit of a picture of our salvation. 
Do you trust the word of God or not? You're going to depend upon something else. You're going to try to rescue yourself. You're going to try to jump ship and do what you think you can do in order to save yourself. Or are you going to trust the word of God? If you're not a believer here today, I want to encourage you in this. God knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what it is that's going on in your life. And I want you to understand something. He loves you. And he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the cross so that you too might be saved. Praise God. You're going to leave it up to yourself in order to try to save yourself? You're going to try to do something good enough in order to rescue yourself off of this ship, which is going to run aground and be smashed to smithereens eventually? Or are you going to trust God? Believers, what are we going to do? We're going to depend upon our own thinking. We're going to depend upon our own experience. We're going to depend upon how we can frame things out. Or we're going to depend upon the word of God. And we're going to trust God in the midst of our lives so that no matter what storm hits, in the midst of that storm, we can be like the Apostle Paul and we can encourage others that we trust our God because when God has said something, we know that it will come to pass. And we don't have to worry no matter what it looks like. And we can stand boldly and in the midst of it, we can be at perfect peace because we know our God is in total control. So he encourages them to eat, encourages them to take food, promises them not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. He begins to eat with them. He blesses the food. He gives thanks to God. So they're encouraged, and they begin to eat. We find in verse 37, 276 people are on that ship. And I think that's kind of significant, folks. We're living in a day where slaves didn't matter. Life was not precious. Now, Luke records 276 persons are on that ship. Do you realize that that means that not only the prisoners, but also the slaves and all the people that were on that ship mattered to Luke and to Paul and to Aristarchus? They knew every one of them. I think that's fascinating. It didn't matter what social position they had or didn't have. What mattered is that they were loved of God. I think that's something to take note of. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship. They began to throw the wheat into the sea. So the cargo, their profit, everything's gone. In verse 39, when day came, they could not recognize the land. They did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. As soft a landing as possible, right? So they cast off the anchors. At the same time, they loosen the ropes. They hoist the foresail to the wind. They're headed for the beach. <laughs> But they strike a reef where two seas met. They ran the vessel aground. The prow stuck fast and remains unmovable. But the stern begins to be broken up by the force of the waves. So here they are. They see this beach and they're thinking, wow, sand, that's better than nothing. Let's try to make for it. They put the sail up. They get rid of the anchors. Nothing's going to drag them, keep them. They're going to go right for that thing. But before they get there, they hit a reef where the two seas meet, and where those two seas meet is so rough that when they hit that reef, they get stuck so fast that the ship begins to disintegrate. The soldiers, whose own lives are forfeit if they lose any of the prisoners, want to kill the prisoners. But the centurion, Julius, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And here's the conclusion of the whole story. So it happened that they all were brought safely to land. God said it. 
it happened. Every one of them. All 276, didn't matter what what social order they were from, made it safely. They stuck together. They listened to the Apostle Paul. And everything that the Apostle Paul told them that God had told him came true. Fascinating. Three things, right? God's word. God's word. We saw it in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, where the Lord himself came to the Apostle Paul and said, You must testify in Rome. You're going to Rome, Paul. The great apostle trusted the Lord. And we see it in verses 22 through 25, where Paul trusted the Lord and the message from the angel concerning the safety of the passengers in spite of the storm. God's word. God's word. Folks, do we know God's word? Are we able to stand strong, firm in God's word? Are our minds being renewed so that no matter what circumstance of life we go through, no matter what it is that we face, no matter what issue it may be, we we have hope. We have a certainty because we know our God. And we know that when God says something, it will take place. God's will. Folks, God's will will never contradict God's Word. He'll never tell us to do something. He'll never want us to go and try to attempt something that is contrary to his word. His word is the foundation of it all. People always claim, well, I'm just doing what God told me to do. Really? Do you know his word? Do you know what God's word has said? Because if you're doing what God has said that you're supposed to do, it will be in alignment with God's word. It will never contradict careful when you say God told me to do something. You better understand what the word of God has to say and you better filter what it is that you're doing through the word of God. Not just why you're doing it, but how you're doing it. Because if it doesn't reflect the heart of God, God's way, then it's not from God. We see God's way involved in this All the time, all through this whole story. It reflects his character. God's way always reflects the goodness and the kindness, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, love. You can see kindness all the way through this. Where Paul was encouraging and coming alongside. Where even the centurion showed kindness. God was all over this. I'm reminded as the team's about to go to Burma, the centurion reminds me of Ruby. Right? She helps out with our team and I'll never forget two years ago when I was there with uh, Orlando and Emery. And Orlando and Emery had eaten something that didn't agree with them. And so they had spent the night kind of miserable. And they came in the morning. And Ruby had found out that they weren't feeling very good. This is not a believing lady. We would call her a person of peace. And we came to breakfast. And Ruby had prepared a breakfast for them that was in alignment with their stomach needs. Does that follow? It wasn't fish soup. I'll put it that way. It was something that would help them. And I thought, wow, how cool. Even in this individual's life, God is working in order to protect our team, that the kindness of God, the usefulness of God can be revealed. Courage, courage. Paul, in the face of the majority, remember the majority didn't want to do this, or they wanted to go on. They didn't want to listen to Paul. There's courage 
when we walk with God, when we know what his word has to say, when we trust in his word. There's care. There's care. 276 individuals. Every life was valuable to the Apostle Paul, to Luke, to Aristarchus, to these believers. Every life was valuable. God's way. Well, ultimately, he is the way. He is the way. We tend to think of the way like Thomas. Lord, where are you going? We don't even know where you're going to go. How do we know how to get there? If we don't know the destination, we don't have a plan in order to get to the destination. And the Lord looks at Thomas and says, Thomas, I am the way. You just need to know me. You don't got to worry about where you're going, and you certainly don't need to worry about how you're going to get there. You just need to make sure that your heart is yielded to me, surrendered to me, and that I'm your focus. And trust me, because if you're rightly related to me, I am the way, and I'll get you there. Because I'm not only the way, I'm the end. So experience me along the journey. Acts 27, 25, just so key in this. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. What do we see in this? We see the move from no hope to hope. We see that they're trusting in self to the end of the story where they begin to trust in the Lord via Paul. We see Paul as a prisoner in chains of Rome. But at the end, Julius wants to protect him. We see that he's embraced as a prisoner of Christ. Folks, what, what, what storms does the Lord have in your life right now? What's causing you to doubt? What's getting your eyes off the Lord and off the word of God? You need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, that what God says he will do because God is God and he's faithful all the time, all the time. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.